So welcome to a special update from New Hampshire on the primary, the first in the country. All right. I'm not actually in New Hampshire. I'm in my den in Manhattan. All right. Truth be told, we don't have dens in Manhattan. I'm in my living room slash kitchen slash office. Anyway, New Hampshire has voted, roughly speaking, it's about a 10-point win for Donald Trump, 55-45, defeated Nikki Haley, right? That's the headline? Well, to my mind, no, the headline is actually that now in two straight races, very nearly 50% of the electorate in the Republican primary has rejected their incumbent. The only way to really look at this race is that Donald Trump is, for all intents and purposes, the incumbent in the race. And when you compare to the performance of other incumbents that have gotten in the 50s in these two states, neither one of them, or I guess three or four of them, you think about people like LBJ, you think about the problems that Bush had, the first Bush had, you think of the problems that Bob Dole had. Iowa and New Hampshire, they might not be perfect representations of anything about the country, but they have been good at determining whether incumbents are weak whether they are weak enough to maybe get out of the race or weak enough to lose. So the headline coming out of these two races, both Iowa and New Hampshire, to my mind, is that there are large swaths of the Republican Party that are deeply unsatisfied with the idea that Donald Trump is going to be their standard bearer. Now, there is going to be a lot of pressure. You've heard all about it for Nikki Haley to get out of the race, South Carolina being her home state, deeply conservative state, probably a good state for Bush. I get it. Blah, blah, blah. For Trump, I get it. But there's another way to look at this, and that is, you know, trying to play the odds of what might happen with all the court cases. And I'm going to talk about them in the regular part of the show with all of the uncertainty that exists around Donald Trump's age, with all the uncertainty that exists, period. Does it make sense for Nikki Haley with every last dollar that she has, even if it means only 30% of the delegates or 25% of the delegates staying in as long as she absolutely positively can? Now, will it be seen by institutional Republicans as some kind of heresy? Perhaps, but I think it's not a bad idea as a function of strategy. And I also think that Democrats, and by the way, I think Nikki Haley missed an opportunity in New Hampshire yesterday. To stand up and say, hey, I've got 50%, you got 50%, let's bring it on. Let's have a real battle here. The other strategy I think that is important for Nikki Haley going forward, if we're going to do punditry, is I think she should learn from the DeSantis experiment of not trying to lay a hand on Donald Trump, trying to win the nomination without being anti-Trump in any way. I think Nikki Haley maybe doesn't have to go full Chris Christie, but I think that she should lead with her chin and say, listen, you know, try to get under Donald Trump's skin. If he, she would have stood up last night and said, I basically won this race, Donald, it would have driven him nuts. And I think that should be what her footing is. So for Democrats, as a Democrat, I don't know what I'm rooting for at this point. I obviously um, believe that Nikki Haley would be the stronger candidate against Joe Biden, maybe strong enough to defeat him. Uh, you can make a pretty good argument. The only person we know Joe Biden can beat is Donald Trump. Um, but on the other hand, anything that helps to vanquish the country of Donald Trumpism um, is a good thing to be betting on. So she did okay. 55-45 is not a, a thumping. It is a very close margin within 10 points. I think LBJ, I think got 58% in New Hampshire and wound up dropping out thereafter. 
Um, there's one other example that's eluding me of like, oh, well, Pat Buchanan wound up doing real damage to H.W. Bush. Um, I know that that happened. So uh, it's it's uh, it's an interesting time. I think she does wind up succumbing to the pressure. I guess I guess you would say that's a whole month before we get to South Carolina. A lot of these races are rigged to be very good delegate wise for the incumbent for I almost said the incumbent for Donald Trump. Um, so she might not uh, and, and get a lot of delegates out of this. But even if she emerges with 30 percent of the delegates, um, might she be better off? And then the question becomes, or does she live to fight another day and just say, listen, I'm going to join the list. I'm going to consider myself the second place finisher. Uh, join the list of the of the people that live to fight another day in 2028. I can't believe we're talking about that already. So that's the New Hampshire update. Donald Trump with the win on paper, with the loss, if you look a little bit behind the numbers. Nikki Haley says she's continuing, but I don't know if she should. Um, and um, I think, look, we, we probably are not going to have a long season of primaries that are contested, maybe one or two more. Um, so I'm uh, enjoying it while we can. Uh, so that's the update. And now on with the rest of the middle unplugged. Do you see that? The three people. How good did Elise Stepanak do? This is the middle with Anthony Weiner. Unplugged. Welcome to episode 66 of The Middle Unplugged, a break in the middle of the week when we reclaim the microphone from the far left and the far right and try to carve out some time for a less shrill and less extreme and generally less angry conversation. Now, it may sound odd to say this, but we really are probably going to actually have a relatively low event year in politics in 2024. I don't mean to say that things aren't going to happen and that we may not pay some attention to them. Words will be said and gaffes will be noticed. Congress may or may not do votey types of things. But unlike nearly all past election years, when at least one nominee is in question, this year's rematch is just about the hype, the run-up. Near certainty means that no primary election drama, no Super Tuesday, no delegate counters, no cable news guys telling us how suburban women voted in this state or in that. What there will be is no end to polling and vibe checking and narrative building and then amending. I mean, there will be a couple of notable exceptions, though. Two actual things will happen that will have real news value. One will happen all at once and one will happen in a slow boil. The all at once thing is the choice by Vice President Donald Trump of his vice president. Did I just say Vice President Donald Trump? By President Donald Trump of his vice president. You know what I meant. It will be newsworthy because of the prominence that the vice president has paid in, pe in past efforts by Donald Trump to subvert our democracy. Donald Trump wanted Mike Pence to refuse to accept and to refuse to announce the results of the election so Trump could use the chaos that would ensue to stop the transfer of power to Joe Biden. Now, I don't know if I have to say any of that as allegedly because I'm fairly sure that even Donald Trump hasn't denied that he did all that. Now that we have learned that the simple act of not doing anything crazy disqualifies Pence from rejoining the ticket, hell, it apparently disqualified him from even getting to the starting line of the first primary, we now have to wait on the announcement of who will be Donald Trump's choice for Veep. And the question that person will be asked again and again, over and over again, is some version of, 
If Donald Trump asked you to do what he asked Mike Pence to do, what would you say? Or put another way, maybe more succinctly, did Pence do the right thing? Or are you on team hang Mike Pence, bringing an actual gallows to the Capitol on January 6th? So who might Trump choose? In keeping with the general sense that Trump version 2.0 will be even less tethered to institutional Republican thought and its leaders than before, I think that he won't choose someone like Pence this time. And I don't mean someone who won't do his bidding in crunch time of an insurrection. That part goes without saying. I mean, a button-down, mainstream, old-timey Republican won't get chosen this time. Once he is done vetting for crazy, not to weed it out, but the opposite, to make sure that whoever he picks will be totally bonkers for conspiracy theories and voter fraud fantasies, next I imagine he starts hunting for that central casting thing that he talks about so often. So let's look at the names that are currently in the mix with that in mind. There are the racial candidates, the ones who theoretically bring some black votes like Tim Scott or Ben Carson or some brown votes like Viv... Oh, wait, I caught myself. I vowed never to say his name again. While out of the realm of possibility, I doubt he goes in that direction because of the manifest racism of much of his base. Also, Tim Scott was an embarrassingly bad candidate in his own right. Ben Carson has as much appeal to today's America as the fax machine. And that other dude seems to have taken this whole frat boy on meth routine about as far as it's going to go. Then there are the women candidates. Some are non-starters. Nikki Haley is a non-starter. Elise Stefanik? She couldn't carry New York. She's completely unvetted and untested. And that endless desperation thing that she has going is too icky even for Trump. He couldn't even say her name. I assume that Carrie Lake is also on the one fry short of a Happy Meal column for Donald Trump. I know Donald Trump is not the sharpest fellow out there, but even he must realize that one of the reasons Democrats keep winning in Arizona is the dislike and distrust of Lake. There is Sarah Huckabee Sanders. She's loyal to Trump. She's been a governor for a couple of years and seems uh, flexible enough to stay the lapdog when the chips are down. Trump likes that. I think she may be a bit too inside the box, though, for Trump, not inspired enough. I'm betting he goes with a woman, but that he goes deep into central casting for Christy Nome, the governor of the great state of South Dakota. She endorsed Trump way early, and even ran ads about uh, South Dakota in the Republican debates aimed at Trump. And he, she has maximized the use of perhaps the world's most perfect rally backdrop, Mount Rushmore. I have a vague memory Nome also um, suggested that they put Trump up there next. She totally knows her audience, apparently. There have been some efforts to derail her with stories about her private life, but nothing that would upset Trump too much, I think. She's my pick to be his pick, Christy Nome of South Dakota. South Dakota, by the way, capital is Pierre, population 887,000, and the state flower, the America Pask, it says here. So that's the one new thing that will happen this year, and the one newsy thing. The other is the court justice trial thingies. It's hard to know how to read the polls about this, but about a third of Republican voters in Iowa and elsewhere said that they would not vote for Trump if he were convicted of a crime. Now, that could be because they assume that if he's found guilty, he'll be an ineligible and won't be on the ballot. But I don't know. Some of them might not like the idea of it. Even in this Alice in Wonderland world where indicted 91 times doesn't disqualify you from saying you're the law and order candidate. It seems like Trump's legal challenges will produce some actual news this year. 
So let's take a look at what news will or won't be and when. There are two ways to look at this, case by case, or in order of the likelihood to actually turn into a trial this year. The Florida federal case is the cleanest and frankly most likely to result in a guilty plea or a conviction. That's the one that is likely to be delayed the longest. This is a fairly straightforward case of Trump possessing documents he was not allowed to have, refusing to turn them over when the court told him he had to, hiding them and then sharing them with people who are not supposed to see them. But this case is before a federal judge who seems to be doing everything possible to delay it and is succeeding. The best tell is that she is doing defendant Donald's bidding here is that she is the only judge in his life who is not threatening or calling names. Aileen Cannon, the judge in the Mar-a-Lago documents case, was appointed by Donald Trump, by the way. It's not impossible that this case suddenly happens, but I'd say it's doubtful. The Georgia case is next, and to refresh you, it's a state case brought under Georgia's RICO statute that involves the president and a bunch of other people, and in theory is set for an August trial. In addition to having many moving parts and a lot of defendants, it's also recently had a wrinkle. Fannie Willis, the Fulton County DA, has run into controversy about her relationship with a subordinate. It's still not clear how that impacts the case, but anything that gives defendants opportunities to make delaying motions doesn't help that August deadline. Next is the New York County case that revolves around payments to Stormy Daniels in the run-up to the 2016 election. That one, in theory, is the next one up, scheduled for March 25th. But in reality, it will likely get pushed back out of deference to the biggest case on the list, the election interference case in Washington, D.C., being prosecuted by Jack Smith. So let me catch you up on that one. Technically, it is still on the calendar to begin March 5th. But no one, even the judge, seems to believe it will happen then. The Trump plan is to delay everything as long as possible, obviously. He has conjured this argument that his actions while president were not reviewable even by courts at any level, and that the only accountability that the executive faces is the impeachment clause of the Constitution. It seems doubtful that the district court will agree with him and that they may even return that decision this week. Or, and even if they do, it doesn't mean that everything just moves as if nothing happened. Trump could appeal for a hearing by the full appellate court and then by the Supreme Court. It probably doesn't need saying, but the Supreme Court could really drag this thing out if that's the way they want to go. A couple of scenarios depending upon how bald-faced the Supreme Court wants to be in their actions. One thing they can do is to punt the whole case by saying that it's not ripe until after a trial. Since their term ends in late June or July, the court would have to hurry a bit if they wanted to hear the case, expedite it to be decided in time, and then return it for trial to the lower court on the merits. Now, I'm assuming they don't find this crazy theory of immunity in the Constitution, and I'm also assuming they won't, they won't want to seem so political that they slow walk it and leave town while the whole country waits for an answer. Is it ever just too late to do a trial? Do they have to stop the conventions or the debates or even the elections? The answer is sort of no. In fact, the judge in the case, the Tanya Chutkin, has made a point of telling all the parties that she does not care about the political calendar, and she doesn't have to. The Justice Department has rules against playing politics with prosecutions. That's true. Remember, James Comey famously broke one of those rules to help Trump get elected. But those unwritten rules, including the somewhat famous 60-day rule, 
only covers Justice Department making big announcements or statements close to an election. Since this case is before a judge now, and there are no limits or, uh, or, or prohibitions on when a case moves forward, what will, but will the case have to stop for something like the Republican convention? Or will the judge find some part of the campaign season a reason to suspend the trial? Who knows? You can bet that the request for a delay and the denial of those requests will be part of the whole Trump strategy. So summarizing the January 6th schedule, within the next week or so, the Court of Appeals will likely rule against Trump's immunity claim. Then in the next month or so, either the full court hears the case or not. Then the Supreme Court either takes it a month or so after that. And if they do, then it's May, June, July, or some combination of agreeing to hear it, schedule a hearing on it, and have arguments. Or not, but they probably will. So returning to the idea that there won't be a lot of actual news this election year, I'm going to put all the legal wrangling in the category of things we talk about and the actual trials in the category of the real news. So the way things are going, we may not have much news before we vote. Oh, but we will know whether Trump is on the ballot. That we will. The Supremes have scheduled a hearing on the 14th Amendment case for February 8th, right around the corner. Like I said, a low event year in American politics. And we'll be right back with Ask Anthony Anything. So from time to time, we use the Ask Anthony part of the podcast to address a mistake I made on a past show. A fellow named Roy, or could be Wua if you're an Islander fan, Roy emailed to correct one mistake and one important omission from a conversation I had on the radio last week with a caller. Listen here to Amy from New Jersey. In regards to your comments on the AR-15, you're making some, um, I guess, you're, you're not really educated, I guess you could say, because the AR-15 is not semi-automatic. It's, it's, it's not fully automatic. Um, and it's really, people say weapon of war. The, the ones that are used in the military are fully automatic. The ones that you can go apply and go by, they're, they're not. Uh, and it, they, they're much more devastating. And um, I guess for, let's say, their stronger rounds, there's the 357, there's a 308 rifle. Right, but you can, but first of all, semi-automatic is pretty, is, 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 it's a lot of bullets also being fired. And for about 60 bucks, you can, you can convert it with a bump stock to make it into an, an automatic, right? Can you make, can you make it? semi-automatic with a bump stock? No, I'm saying that you can make it virtually automatic with a bump stock added. But, but Amy, let me ask They're you a illegal, question. But th th those are illegal, though. And you, and you can, for attack, you to, to go buy one that is semi-automatic, they're twenty to $30,000. Well, hold on a second. But, Amy, Amy, hold on a second. Do you support a bump stock being um, being illegal? Oh, yeah. I, okay. I, I now, but why? But why do you support that? Control. Because it would make the gun too dangerous, right? And hard to control. Correct, correct. So you do believe that we should have regulations around weapons that are too dangerous? Uh, yes, Amy. You, 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 the answer is yes. And so do I. So now the no. only question becomes, which ones? And this is the one that's the one in choice that is killing our children. That's all it is. It's. If you want to take that one away, then you have to take them all away because so many people use this certain weapon for things, hunting, 
people use them for the you have to it's it's you it's a very useful weapon it's just the one that is unfortunately used in these Crime. Right. And that's that's that, but that but Amy, here's the thing. And I, I totally get it. I know that some people like telling us. I think I've told the story before. My late brother, Seth, of blessed memory. He was a licensed gun dealer, believe it or not, in my family. And he would explain these types of things to me all the time that like that it, that 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 people look at a gun and see two different things when if depending upon what your cultural position is. I totally get that. But you and I, Amy, are much closer than I think you realize that we all believe that a bump stock should be illegal. We all agree that a bazooka should be illegal. And the question then becomes, well, okay, there are other things that are out there or there are other weapons that are worse or a lot of people own them and do perfectly good things with them. I say if it has become the gun of choice of a certain group of people that are killing our children, that's a good enough reason to consider it too dangerous. And that, unfortunately, is where I come down on it. And, Amy, I don't think you and I – are that far apart on it. So two things Roy pointed out about that conversation, one perhaps minor, and the other fairly important thing that I left out. Roy directed me to a couple of sources that showed that my estimate for how much a bump stock kit cost wasn't about 60 bucks, as I said. Apparently, they were going for about $200 when it was used by the 2017 Las Vegas massacre shooter. I also found a clip that shows they spiked to about $1,000 once the Trump administration announced they were going to ban bump stocks under a section of the law that prohibits automatic weapons. Which brings me to the second important mistake that I made. It was an omission. In my effort to demonstrate that Amy and I agree that there are many things, on many things, such as the bump stock, which, by the way, transfer the energy from one shot immediately back into firing another bullet and thus making it nearly automatic, I had forgotten that although they remain illegal today, that may soon change. The Supreme Court, in what is expected to be a series of cases that challenge even the most agreed-upon regulations on guns, has agreed to hear a case on the bump stock ban. Coming up next month, the court will hear arguments in Garland v. Cagle that will most likely mean that even laws against some machine guns and bazookas will be deemed to be in violation of the Second Amendment. So, Thank you, Roy, for giving me a chance to clarify that sad fact. And thank all of you who have written in. WienerWABC.com is where you can reach out to me with questions or comments or corrections. I want to thank you for joining us on today's show. If you like anything that you've heard, feel free to share and subscribe this episode um, or any others that you've heard. I want to express my thanks to Eric and Ricky and Will for making all of the, uh, the sound and videos of this look so good. And I want to thank all of you. So this marks the end of the middle unplugged.